we're going to bring back the intro song today, and this totally is your intro song. You know that song? So we were walking into the studio and you said, I need to go put my lip gloss on. I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) lip gloss. Isn't that a song? So we found the song. So let's start off with that. Why would you put lip gloss on for a podcast? I don't know. It's being filmed. And technically, I just wanted chapstick, but all I had was lip gloss. Oh, so for the clarification, I'll I'll accept that answer. Yeah, although it's really lip gloss that just dries out your lips. So I don't know how proactive it is, but tell us who you are. I am Megan Anderson. And Which is also your Instagram name. Yeah, I am Megan Anderson. You're right, it is. How clever is yeah. that? Did you, did you plan that? I did change it. Before, it used to be back in my fitness days in the fitness realm, so it was fitness-related. And I was like, this is not my identity anymore. So you're like, I, I was Megan, this. now I am Megan Anderson. <laughs> basically. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, basically. It's been a, a good time. So talk about your transition from the fitness world into where you are now today. You're so pretty physically fit. Yeah, well, it's always going to be a part of my life, but not in the same sense. So I started out doing, you know, personal training, training people online for bodybuilding shows. And it's actually interesting how it's correlated into my life now with being in the mortgage space. So, you know, I trained people solely online. So all my leads would come from online. So I was very used to promoting myself on social media. But uh, yeah, back in the day, I used to train people and do bodybuilding shows myself. And I hit a point in that career where it just kind of, I wasn't doing it for the right reasons. What were you doing it for? I was simply doing it because I was afraid of what my life would be if I stopped dieting. As crazy as that sounds, I just, I was scared of what my life would be if I didn't keep the body that I had now, if I didn't keep this identity that I was showcasing on social media, I guess. It just became my identity. And I realized through coaching people to do bodybuilding shows, that it didn't matter how much weight they lost, they still had insecurities in their body. And at that point in time, I was like, what am I doing? Like, I am just teaching people how to curb their hunger and step out of their bodies, so not like really step to, like, into it. Cheeseburger and that was it. No, if, if you follow anyone in the bodybuilding realm or people that chronically diet, they will restrict, restrict, restrict. And in some sense, I think society deems that okay and worthy because you're working towards something, you're working towards a goal. But the second they'd stop dieting, and myself is included in this, it, it would be binge eating. It would be episodes of binge eating to the point of, it would get to the point where you'd say, I hate my body. I feel awful in my body right now. So now I need to go back to restrict. Now I need to have a goal. So like highs and lows. Highs and lows. Highs and lows. So are you over that like high and low phase? Are you still involved in that? I am so over that. After that, I started getting education on eating psychology. So I started learning about why we're eating the way that we're eating, why we're making these food choices, why we feel this way about our bodies. Yeah. And you, you come to find out that everything that we're eating or how we talk to ourselves, it all is correlated with whatever is going on in your life. You know, half the people that were doing these bodybuilding shows, you'd ask them why they're doing it. And they'd be like, well, you know, I'm going through a divorce or I'm trying to stay away from alcohol. And these are all like worthy things. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to process going through that divorce. You're going to have to process. So it's a blanket. Yeah, it's a blanket. That's, That's what dieting really became. And I was tired of teaching people that. So from fitness to mortgage world, yeah. Give us that story. Yeah. So um, 
I was working at Mastermind and I was living in Vegas and that's when I met everybody in the mortgage space. And after that, a bunch of life happened and I ended up getting my first nine to five job at MBS Highway. And I was so miserable for the longest time when I first started because I was like, at MBS Highway. Yeah, I was like, I've given up on my dreams, I've given up on my passions, and now I'm just Which like, were what, what were your dreams and passions? My dream and passion has always been the same, and it is to ultimately just help people feel more confident and comfortable within themselves. And so when I started doing that nine to five sales job, I just felt like I I was lost, completely lost. I felt like you know, what's my identity now? I don't even know what my identity is. I guess this is what people consider growing up. I just had this lackluster for life. How long did that last for? It lasted until I decided I can make this as good as I can make it. And so then I started MBS Highway is a small enough company that I just started taking on things that I felt like we needed. You know, we'd constantly come out with new tools, but we were lacking in educating people. So I mortgage business in general, though. Yeah, yeah. So lack I, of education. Lack of education. So I started sending out mass emails to let people know. And they were like, listen, you cannot send out mass emails anymore. We're going to get marked as spam. Like, no, you can't do this. So then I came up with the idea, let's create a Facebook group page for our users. And that turned into essentially a full-time job. You're like Mark Zuckerberg, the female version. <laughs> <laughs> and with all these, you know, iBuyers and FinTech coming in, I was like, listen, the average age of a loan officer is in their mid-50s. <laughs> yeah. They do not know how to do social media. They're only on social media to stalk their kids, yeah, you know, what their search, kids are up to. They go to search someone's name they posted as their status. Like Frank <laughs> Bill. You're like, what? Like, why didn't you post me on his status? Like, oh, I meant to go search for him. Oh, so bad. So once all these, you know, iBuyers, FinTech started coming in, I was like, you know, they're spending so much money on ad space that if we don't step it up within the mortgage realm, really, we're going to come obsolete because what's going to happen, you know, years to come when people are watching TV and they're seeing ads for Rocket Mortgage for things like that, it's going to become what we think of subconsciously when we're like, hey, I need a mortgage. Yeah, Rocket. Yeah, unless unless they start to promote themselves and really become famous within their community. And we can do that through our broadcast system called social media. So what is MBS Highway? MBS Highway is a platform for loan officers. It ultimately helps them articulate the financial market. We'll let them know, hey, you know, lock, float. We'll alert them if the market changes. And then we have a bunch of co-branding pieces to ultimately help them solidify those referral relationships and close the deal. So what does your job entail? I do all of the marketing at MBS Highway. Like what? So you just like click a post, click a button, and that's it? Or like what? <laughs> Train? What do you do? I host a lot of webinars. I do a lot of training. I manage the Facebook page. Any posts that we create, I do that. And it's a small company too, so I also do a lot of sales within the company as well. But I'm so grateful for MBS Highway because it allowed me... To move six times in seven years? <laughs> I have moved a lot. That's that's another story, though. But it really just allowed me to kind of realize that helping people feel confident and comfortable within themselves doesn't just have to be in that bodybuilding space. You know, I saw a need where people were so afraid and they had no idea how to post on social media, what to do, how to attract leads, how to talk to leads. Well, most of them are overweight, out of shape, not educated. So putting them in front of the world on social media, (laughs) they're like, well, I don't look good. I'm really not as smart as people think I am. And uh, I don't know how to post. Right? It's like over three. Yeah, it's over three. That is very true. How's that learning curve been, though, coming in in like your mid to early 20s? speaking to people who are 55 plus set in their ways that went from making a lot of money back years ago to now like 
trying to like survive, like they're on life support. How is it dealing with people that are pretty much more often not like down in the gutter? Whether they're telling you they're down in the gutter or not, they most likely are. And they're knowing they're on their way out, right? Well, I think a lot of people are kind of starting to see the need for social media now. And in 2019. In 2019, I know. But they're willing to learn. They also don't know a lot of things. You know, I just gave a workshop in Tahoe. People had never posted their story before. They didn't know how to add text on things. They didn't know how to tag someone. So it's all these really basic things that we're having to go down, break it down. But those that are willing to learn, I mean, they're willing to learn. I remember in like 2014 or 15, I had made a post on Facebook and this guy that was a manager who should have been out of the business by 2004 or latest. <laughs> and it was still 2014 thinking he's like, you know, Joe Torrey coaching the Yankees. And he's like, you, you keep posting all this face fuck shit. I'm like, what? And like, what'd you say? He's like, this face fuck shit. Get off fucking, you know, go back out and hit the road. And like, you know, I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, I just connected with thousands of people by making this post and mm-hmm. 17 people commented on it. And then it's funny, like now five years later, these are the people that are now just starting to post on Facebook, you know? But it's funny. it was a very like dinosaur industry Ugh. where people were so set in their ways and they didn't want to This entire industry still is dinosaur. It's like slowly places are starting to adopt technology even to. now. Because they have to. Because they have, they have to. The market is shifting and they have to adapt. So where would you say is the most challenging aspect of your business when you're sitting in front of somebody talking to them and telling them, look at this great tool you could have. And they're sitting looking at you like a deer in the headlights like, this is stupid. Like I want to get in my car get my briefcase, wear my oversized suit from 1985 <laughs> and go knock on doors. How, I mean, how do, you, how do you challenge that? Don't you get tired of doing that? They have to be able to see results very quickly in order for them to believe that they can actually generate and convert leads using social media. So every time I speak, I start off by having them do an engagement post because it's an easy way for them to see instantaneous results. So for example, on their status, I'll have them post, how old were you when you purchased your first home? And what was your rate? That started that trend. Oh my god! I'm like, like, why does every fucking person post the same damn post today? It's Tuesday, and seventy five people just posted the same thing. Like, who the fuck thought of that? Yeah, that's when you know Megan was speaking. Gosh, yeah. So, but but what happens is they see that, and all of a sudden, someone will comment, and they'll be like, "Oh my gosh, I can refinance them and save them money." So that's a lead, and they start to follow up with that. And I mean, when I gave that talk in Mastermind, it's free. When I gave that talk in Mastermind, I had people come up to me and they said, "Within this hour, I've I've done three refinances. I've you know scheduled this many appointments." And the second that they start to see results like that, then they're willing to put in the work, and they they can start to see how they can use social media to benefit themselves and grow their business. So it's funny, right? Most people in general, regardless of the industry, age, sex, whatever you are, are insecure. It's a fact, right? Mm -hmm. And I always said I was insecure as a person, right? And it was more an insecurity of like having failed at football. Like football was always my like, okay, if I perform on the field, I'm more secure as a person because I could hang my head on that, right? Mm -hmm. And when football was taken from me, I'm like, I'm just this fucking regular guy now, you know, but I'm in the mortgage business and I'm killing it in the mortgage business. And I was a hundred percent confident in who I was in the mortgage business. Like you couldn't tell me something I didn't know. And I was a visionary in that, but I still lacked personal security on a personal level. So talk Mm -hmm. to us how somebody balances the insecurity as a person, but the security on a professional level. 
That's a loaded, yeah. loaded question. Personally, my experience with all of this is becoming okay with yourself and becoming okay in business. It's easy for us to put on that front on the business aspect and still not at the end of the day, love ourselves. But what I see the most is people are so afraid to go on video because of those insecurities that they have within themselves. And what I've learned personally, just through, you know, my entire experience of, I mean, I was so afraid of gaining weight and I had the worst body insecurity of like most people. And it's so funny when people are like, they look at me and they're like, why, why are you insecure? Like, this makes no sense. But I really believe that the people you, that you, you don't think, <laughs> yeah, the people that you don't think should have insecurities do. Yeah. And it's part of just stepping into that realm of being uncomfortable, but saying what it is, like being honest with yourself of how you feel. I think that's kind of the start of it. You know, it's easy for us, especially in the mortgage business to get wrapped up in business, get wrapped up in numbers, get wrapped up in production. But at the end of the day, are you focusing on your health? Are you focusing on your spirituality? Are you focusing on these other things? And a lot of people aren't. But at the end of the day, I think that it's the start of the healing process is being honest with yourself about where you're, where you're at and what you feel. So I know you're like poetic, right? You're like oh gosh, here we go. How'd you get into writing poems? So I always journaled ever since I was little. And, you know, I used to journal about boys. Tip, yeah, boys, all things like that. Luke's lobster. So good. I'm so glad we went there today. But yeah, so I used to journal about boys all the time. And being, you know, my, my mother who loves to know about my life. And uh, one day she found my journal and she got really upset at me. <laughs> She was like, Megan, you should not be doing these things, thinking these things, saying these things. Like, what are you doing? And so ever since then, I started writing in more abstract poetry so that she could never really tell what it was about, like even if she found sauce. my yeah, journal. Language, yeah. yeah. And that's my favorite thing about writing poetry as well. And for anyone that wants to follow my poetry page, it is... Uh, private. <laughs> yeah, it's private, so you can't do it, but it's self-love poetry. You can go ahead and follow that. But... That's my favorite thing about poetry is it's it's a way for me to communicate what I'm feeling, but I love the simple fact that people can read it and they have no idea if it's about them, if it's about someone else, and I enjoy that aspect. Well, it sparks that different like creative thought process, right? It makes you actually use your brain to think all those different yeah. questions. Yeah, yeah, it dives in deep. So is that like self-therapy when you write? For sure. It is a way that I can process my emotions and say everything that I want to say and everything that I'm feeling. Because I'm really actually not that great at communication. Wow. You know, when it comes to those uncomfortable conversations with people. Such as? You know, like say you're in a relationship and something isn't working. It's very hard for me to actually go in front of that person and actually tell them, hey, you know, this isn't working for me. This is what I need. So you just move to a different state? <laughs> but it's so easy for me to write a poem that addresses how I feel, what it is that I desire, what it is that I want. So where do you think that came from? What caused that? miscommunication or lack of communication? That's a good question. When was the first time in life that you were like, shit, I really don't want to communicate about this right now that you can remember? Probably when I was young and my dad ended up moving to a different state for a job and I just, I didn't know how to talk to my parents about it. I remember kids like teasing me. Like, Did you move with them? No, my I stayed with my mom. We stayed with my mom and my dad just went and he would like come visit 
But I just remember kids coming up, like, making fun of me, being like, did your parents get divorced? Like, da-da-da. Were you from, where, like, Idaho, Boise? Where are you from? Wyoming. Wyoming? I don't know where that yeah. is on the map. No one does. It's the West. It's, uh, it's okay. <laughs> but it, it was a good spot. But I, I remember being uncomfortable at that point in time, not being able to talk about that. So we were in college. My best friend, Jason, who you've yet to meet. So like my right hand. So he's black. I'm white, obviously. And we always say, like, I was supposed to be black. You were supposed to be white. You know, it's kind of funny. But anyway, so we were in college and there was this girl that had an accent. I think she was from like Brooklyn. He's from Maryland, right? So he's like, you sound like you're from Wyoming. And she looked at him and she's like, I'm from Brooklyn. You know? He's like, no, you sound like you should be from Wyoming. That's like, I've never met anybody from Wyoming before. Well, now you have. What's out there? Um, not really anything. There's a lot of farmland. If you like, you they have know. a good division two college or one double college football team. I think they have a decent college football team. Like brown and white, aren't they? <sighs> no, it's yellow and brown. Yellow and brown. It's yeah. awful. They were not good when I was there. No, no. In college, yeah. we, we if there were football games, yeah. we would all just get extremely intoxicated because yeah. we knew that they were going to lose. <laughs> but you went to Boise State, yeah? I did go to Boise State. How close is Idaho to Wyoming? I don't know. Like a plane ride or like a car ride? Probably like eight to ten hour car oh, drive. So it's pretty far. Yeah. So how'd you wind up at Boise State? Well, I always wanted to go there, but it was expensive out of state. So my parents talked me into, you know, save money. It's a good school. Just try out staying in state. So I did, but I always grew up wanting to get out of Wyoming. I was like, I need to get out of this small town. I need to experience life. I just wanted to get out for as long as I can remember. So you knew that early on? Oh, Yeah. All through high school, I, I just wanted to leave. So I did a semester at Wyoming, and I was like, nope, I got to go. But my parents didn't pay for my college, so I had to figure out how I was going to do this. So I ended up going to Idaho, going part-time because I didn't want to become one of those kids that, you know, stopped going to school, and then it's hard to get back in, you know? So I went part-time. I gained residency so that I could get that in-state tuition, and then I, I graduated school. So you went to like the blue turf field for football games? I only went to one football game. That's it? I ended up getting arrested at that game. And I, I want to hear this I just, story. Uh, yeah, She's you like know, it was, I know. It was like before I was 21 and all my friends were older. So, you know, I was like a few months away from 21. Come on. But, uh, was we you arrested were, for like fist fighting? No, we were, we were all drinking and... Then we decided to go out to one of the bars there, and I had my fake ID, and they were like, this is not you. People in Idaho like, actually me. care about like underage drinking. I feel like that's like not even on their radar, right? <laughs> well, they do when you're sassy and you yeah. decide to lie. So, yeah, I just got questioned by the cop, and they were like, listen, if you don't tell us that this isn't you, uh, <laughs> like, you're going to be in a me. lot more trouble. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm lying. And then they took me to jail. And oh my gosh, I you know how you don't remember any phone numbers now, yeah, just because they're yeah, all in your phone program. and you don't remember anything. So I remember two numbers my parents' home number and my ex boyfriend who happened to go to school there. So I call my parents, they don't answer. I call them like 10 times. I'm like crying at this point in time. So from sassy to not sassy, I'm a really good girl. Like I am a good, and I had this just, you know, I grew up in Wyoming where everything is just nice, rainbows, people are nice. Simple. And yeah, and I I had this vision, and 
thanks to all the, you know, movies and shows that I grew up watching, I was like, I'm going to get raped in here. <laughs> so I was like, and I was intoxicated. Sure. I was like going up to the people there and I was like, please don't make me go in here. I don't want to get raped. I was just crying. People in the waiting room were so nice. They were like dialing numbers for me. And so anyways, my parents don't pick up. And so then it's, I resort to calling my ex-boyfriend who is more drunk than I am, but comes and gets me and bails me out. That was nice. It was nice. It really was nice of him. Yeah, looking back at it, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that. And he probably shouldn't have done that because he was so intoxicated that we get in his car and he doesn't know how to get home. So then you guys got back together for a couple weeks. That was so nice of him. No, we didn't. (laughs) That would be a good story. We didn't. Yeah, no. Interesting. Nope. I just paid him back the bail money and said thanks. (laughs) See you later. Yeah. Interesting. So then you graduate from Boise State? Yep. And then what? You went right into... Then, so I was doing bodybuilding then. I was coaching people, but at commercial gyms. And so then my boyfriend at the time in college, we decided to start training people online. So we started training people online. And then we broke up and then I moved to Vegas. And I was in Vegas for eight months. So that's obviously an awesome place to live for eight months, I would assume. (laughs) But how do you compare like what you look like versus how you play, right? So like if somebody is in good shape, do you think there's a direct correlation to how they show up in their everyday life? Or do you think that somebody can show up messy, out of shape, not mentally right and still perform the way they should? That's interesting. So relating it back to my own experience, when I was, you know, shredded, I didn't show up in the same way that I do now. I think that I show up now on a business front, and maybe this is due to experience, but I feel like my body doesn't look anything like it used to, but I show up more so throughout my day than I used to when I was shredded and lean. And Well, that was obviously one extreme, right, I think? Yeah. That was an extreme. Yeah. Now you're just more comfortable with who you are. Yeah, but I, I do think that... If you're wanting to lose weight and you feel like you're overweight, there's probably something going on in your life that is correlated to that. So maybe, you know, you're dealing, you talked about your story when you were 20 pounds heavier and you were deep, deep in the mortgage space and how miserable. Yeah. But, but you showed up to work and you, you grind it out every single day. Maybe your body reflects that. Right, like you look your body worn reflects down, that, right? For yeah. sure, your Sluggish, body reflects that. Whatever. But if someone were to look at your body and not know what you do in the mortgage space, they might not say, you know, hey, at you all. know, he, yeah, at all. yeah. So I think it kind. I don't. I don't know if they. They definitely correlate, but I don't think that you can judge based off of someone's work ethic what their body looks like. Interesting. So what do you? What have you learned in the mortgage business so far in the past four years of doing what you're doing? Do you think that? There's a future for it? Do you think that it has to change? Do you think that people are going to change? What do you think? I think the industry is going to do a lot of shifting. I don't necessarily know exactly what it's going to look like. I do think that we are going to have to adapt technology. I think technology is going to be a big part of it. Do I think that loan officers ultimately could get wiped out and taken over? It could happen if we don't make changes. But I, I just think it's going to be a major shift. How soon does that happen? It's I mean, it's, it's already happening. It's already happening. I think that it, it's been happening. But I think now it's just progressively happening. So what do you think that does for someone like yourself? If your main business is being a catalyst to help loan officers, and you think loan officers may be obsolete or be 
wiped out, right? Yeah. What's next or what do you see yourself doing? You probably haven't even thought of that yet. Well, ultimately, I really wouldn't like to just stay in the mortgage space. And I think social media can be used by so many different platforms. The mortgage space just really gave me an in and people have adopted me. And I love this space. If you you change the mortgage people's mentality, you can change anyone's mentality. Yeah. And so many people need help with social media and showing up and feeling comfortable and confident in who they are and what they're doing. This does not just relate to the mortgage space. So I see myself ultimately you know, riding this wave out as long as humanly possible. And regardless of what happens in the space, I don't necessarily want to stay in the mortgage space. Interesting. So do you think the mortgage space gives you the ability to meet different people, different walks of life? Like if you're meeting Mm -hmm. with mortgage people in Florida, opposed to California, opposed to Colorado, opposed to New Jersey, like, or Texas, do you feel like there's all different types of people that fell into the mortgage space? It's so funny. I did an engagement post in our users group page where I asked people, you know, why'd you get into the mortgage space? And I actually asked them every time because I helped them come up with their three core stories. And these are the reason you want to create a core story on social media is because it gets that potential client to know, like, and trust you. Who you really are. Yeah. So like one question I'll ask them is, you know, why are you in the mortgage space? And I don't think anyone grew up being like, I'm going to be in the mortgage space. No, no one did. No one did. no, No one did. And everyone has a different, you know, a different story and a different reason. But I think it's interesting. I'm just, I'm just coming up with this right now. But I feel like of all the people that I've asked about this, it took some catalyst, whether it was a divorce, whether it was, you know. Couldn't find a job. Couldn't find a job. Just got out of college, got recruited. This was the first thing they got recruited to do. It's no one's first choice by any means, but everyone you talk to, they're thankful for this space and what it did for them. So I'm more so concerned with what these people do when there is no more residential mortgage business, right? Because they got into it. They haven't developed any further skill sets. They've been making hundreds of thousands of dollars. Most of them make, look, if you're not making $100,000 a year in the residential mortgage business, you should not be in the business. That's my flat out fact opinion, right? Yeah. If you just start in your first year, okay, fine. I get it. But like you should be making six figures easily, quickly, if you apply yourself. They shouldn't be making six figures, right? So as margin compression comes down, market slows yeah. down, what do they wind up doing? Are they, they going to become like a baseball coach? Or are they going to like, <laughs> you know, work as a janitor? Are they going to like be a moving company? Truthfully, because these people don't plan for like the rainy day or slowdowns. And when it happened in 2008 and nine, when I first started, it wiped out 85% plus of the industry. Yeah, yeah. And luckily, technology wasn't there to replace it. Now, today, when they get wiped out, technology is there to pick up the scraps and not let them back in. Well, hey, the average age of a loan officer is what? 57, probably. 57. 54-ish. So, I mean, even if it does wipe out, how long is that going to take? They'll probably all be out of work by then anyways. Maybe. But regardless, but they still have nothing to do morbid, that, but... You know? uh, I, I feel like people always find opportunities and markets open up new opportunities all the time. I'm curious to see how that plays out. I am very curious to see what this space looks like in five, 10 years from now. So where do you see yourself going? So I've been doing more kind of consulting work with various companies, helping them with their social strategy, helping their employees show up on social media and I just see myself continually doing that, uh, putting on more workshops. I gave one of my first workshops in Tahoe a few weeks ago, and I love it. You know, I've done a bunch of keynote speeches all over the place, but this workshop allowed me to get hands-on with people. 
It had them crying, telling their stories, like opening That's up. Cool. Yeah, I became very addicted to it. So I want to do more speaking, more workshops, things like that, but I don't necessarily need them to come from the mortgage space. Again, I'd like to open it up to a wider range of audience. So why do you think it's so hard for people to actually share their personal stories? Is it because you think they blocked it out or do you think it's because I think it's they judgment. Anyone wants to hear it? judgment? I think a big part of it is judgment. So what would be your advice to somebody that wants to get their story out? Is it a post? Is it a video? Is it a sequence of well, posts videos? Well, you, you've got to start with what makes you feel comfortable. So, for example, I don't feel comfortable sharing my poetry public, but I've seen the power in sharing my poetry on social media. The second that you open up and you share your story, people connect with it, and it allows them to come in and share their story as well. And there's this beautiful healing and growth that takes place when we share our story. But obviously you don't want to go sharing your story with everyone because there's bullies, there's victims. They're going to come in and they're going to attack you. They should all be shot. I feel like bullies and victims like that, people that like try and hurt other people should actually be shot. Well, they should maybe, but they're not going to be. <laughs> so start with something that makes you feel comfortable, but allows you to share, whether that's a closed group on Facebook, a private group on, you know, Instagram, And find those stories that you are able to share. And remember at the end of the day why you're posting this. You know, you're posting it to ultimately, you know, let's say you're you're wanting to post your core mortgage story and it's about how you went through a divorce. You weren't sure how you were going to, you know, provide for your children. And then you ended up getting a house and a job and everything was good. Well, that's a really scary story to share because I'm sure that you felt a lot of things going through that divorce, a lot of fear, a lot of heartache. But now maybe it's been five, seven years and you're, you're fine. You've done the healing from that. Well, share that story now because there's people going through that right now. Or someone that may go through that. Or, some, or someone that may go through that. And the second that they see you with all these loan officers out here, the fact that you shared that story and they connect with it, hands down. They're going to pick you. They're, they're not going to care if the rate's higher a little bit. They're not going to go around and shop. They connected with you something on an emotional level that already has their trust. They're not going anywhere. Interesting. And that's the power in sharing your story. So you think more people have to do that like sooner, like sooner rather than later? Yeah. I think everyone needs to be sharing their story. I think, I think if everyone could just be honest and share their story, there would be so much more just healing and personal growth within the world. I agree with that. Some guys, some, one of my buddies told me that, if every single person stopped at the same three seconds and like experienced like gratitude and love, the whole mm. entire dynamic of the world, the world would shift and change. So true. I'm a, such a big fan of gratitude. Every single morning, I, I say what I'm thankful for. So walk us through your morning routine. So from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, what are the, th- the must-accomplished during the day's tasks? So my morning routine, I start off, I have coffee. I make my coffee. Black or with milk? I do a little bit of half and half. I do, just a little bit. And there's actually a story behind that too. I used to be afraid of, of half and half it's because commi- it's a commitment issue. there's like seven grams of fat in a tablespoon, <laughs> yeah. seven times nine, that's 63, 63 calories. And I would just run through my head how fast these calories would add up. That's how bad my relationship was with my body and you yeah. know myself. Sure. But uh, so I'm very honored now and I feel good about my half and half every go. single morning. Perfect. Uh, so I start off with coffee. I take that out on the deck where I, I'll journal a little bit. I'll stretch. I always like to do movement in the morning, 
doesn't matter what it is. I'll do a little meditation and then I'll watch the sunrise and then I'll get started with my day. Shower, what get about started during with my the day. Gym, anything else that you must have or do every day? I'm a big fan shower, of shower. Yeah, obviously. shower, obviously. Yeah. I'm a big fan of movement. So I used to be like, I have to go to the gym for, you know, 45 to 60 minutes, at least five days a week. And I used to be very, very strict in that schedule. Well, once I kind of had my whole bout with the bodybuilding, I realized how much I was actually doing those those movements, not in a way that was actually positive. So then I started just moving my body how I want to. So when I say movement, it can be whatever feels good that day. If I want to go to the gym, great, I'll go to the gym. If I want to go for a walk, great, I'll go for a walk. It's so much less structured, but now I make sure that movement from my body comes from a place of I love this and I want to honor and respect my body and move it from that place versus I have to go to the gym because if I don't, I'm not being disciplined and, you know, my body is going to look terrible in a few months. Yeah, it's a completely different mind shift. So movement's super important. Obviously, you know, go through emails. That's like a key thing. I watch the morning update on MBS Highway every single day. So I know it's happening in the market. Those are really like my my must-haves. And then I have like a nighttime routine too. So I'll have my sleepy time tea. I'll do a, another little meditation slash breath work. I'm really key into that. And I'll end my night reading some poetry. So you said you sleep with four pillows. Right? I sleep with four pillows. Where did it's that a start must. from? Well, I'm a side sleeper. <laughs> and the older I get, my body just tends to just hurt sometimes. Yeah. So uh I have one that supports my head, and then I have the one that supports the pillow that's behind my head, and then I have one that I'm hugging, and then I have one that goes between my legs. That's so funny. It's awesome. Is that going to evolve as time goes on? Like maybe put one to the side, or maybe put one under your elbow? Or... I mean, it evolves as the night goes on, let's be honest. So when you wake up, are there no pillows usually? <laughs> no. no. There's <laughs> a lot of pillows. <laughs> Sometimes there will be pillows on the floor, but there's always, there's always at least three in action at all times. Interesting. Yeah, sometimes the one that's in between my legs will become the one that I hug, and is it, it depends on how large the pillow is. I I, I have king size pillows, that's so awesome. they can be multi use. That's so funny. So as we wrap up the show, we leave the, the, the listeners with one thing to deposit to their brain, right, or their memory bank. It's like one piece of advice you can give them: personal business, something that they could implement immediately. What's one thing you want people to literally take on and implement into their daily routine? I just want you to get out there and take action right now. Do not let your insecurities, do not let your fears stop you from taking action. Just get out there and be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And soon that feeling of comfort will come. That's awesome. That's super good advice. So be sure to follow her on her poetry page if she re- you know, accepts your request. <laughs> and obviously follow her on Instagram and check out MBS Highway. Where could they find MBS Highway? You can find MBS Highway. We're on Instagram. You can go to mbshighway.com. You can reach out to me on my Instagram. I am Megan Anderson. You can find it all over. And uh, I'll be launching a social media course in January, too. So be on the lookout for that. Awesome. Well, super cool to have you on the show. And I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. 